Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to this day in esoteric political history from Radiotopia. I guess this new year in esoteric political history. My name is Jody Avergan, and this is our first episode of 2021. So happy new year, Nikki. Happy new year. What have you been getting up to in 2021? Is it, is it brighter than 2020 for you? I don't know. I, I, I believe in the psychic energy of turning a new page, but um, I, I, I think the first half of 2021 will feel a lot like 2020. And so I'm Let's celebrate New Year in like June or July when things have really started to flip a new page. How about that? I have a feeling that there will be many celebrations in the back half of 2021. Yes. Oh my gosh, the number of things I'm just putting off and putting. Yeah, um, I almost like I almost booked a vacation for like the fall, and then really I was like, playing yeah. with fire there. Yeah, exactly. Playing playing with miles there. Uh, so yes, we are here in a new year, and um, I just want to thank everyone for joining us in a new year. We're gonna talk about what we're going to talk about today in a second but um we're just i just want to say we're very excited for what's on deck with this year excited to do it in a new year we also have a big announcement about the show coming up in a little bit so yeah there there is a lot to look forward to with this show in the new year and last week i do want to say one thing last week we ran some reruns of our favorite shows from 2020 we got a lot of good feedback from that including the fact that we ran this episode that we both really loved about um the koya come home letter, which was in Minnesota. A husband wrote a letter to his wife, who was a representative, saying basically, leave politics, come back to your domestic duties. And in that episode, I pronounced her last name as Knutson. Um, and at the time, a number of people wrote in to say that I had pronounced that incorrectly, and then I forgot to fix it in the rerun. So it was a nice way to end 2020 uh, and go into the new year with people telling me that it is actually pronounced Knutson, which is a very Minnesota way of pronouncing it. And, you know, look, it was our only error of the entire year, we happened to put it into a rerun. But let's see if we can go that this one. Year. Yeah, that one just error. the only single mistake we made the entire year. <laughs> but Koya Knutson, um, and I just like saying that Knutson. It's uh, really anyway. fun to say. No mistakes from here on out. Uh, so today's episode, this day, January 5th, it's actually January 6th, 1961 that we're going to look at. And this is the day that Vice President Richard Nixon, as the president of the Senate, presided over a congressional tally of the previous year's presidential election result in which John F. Kennedy had defeated 
him, Richard Nixon. Uh, Nixon noted that he was the first vice president since 1860 to declare his opponent the winner, but this is the job of the president of the Senate. Uh, and he went on to say, listen to this quote, no matter how hard they may be, no matter how close the election may turn out to be, those who lose accept the verdict and support those who win. So, listeners, I've walked you right up to the very obvious reason that we are doing this episode um, at this moment, given the apparent fiasco that is certifying the 2020 election. But this 1961 race also has a lot more interesting parallels than I kind of realized, because it's not just about Nixon presiding and, and preserving this role for the Senate in, in certifying an election. But there was actually a fight up until this moment on behalf of Nixon's supporters to contest the results of the election. There were allegations of fraud, conspiracy theories about the results in a bunch of different states. So lots of other ways that this makes us think of this moment. Uh, so, Nikki, this feels like a good one to start with. And um, you want to start there, actually, and then we'll work our way to the certification. We have a 1960 election. It's very close. Um, and then almost immediately after, there are allegations of, of fraud. Yeah, this is a super close election. There's something like 130,000 votes that separate these two men. That works out to about 0.2 percentage point of the popular vote. It's a little wider margin in the Electoral College. But whisper thin. And so there is a challenge you know, in a number of states, I think about 11 of them, but two of them in particular – Texas and Illinois, because these were seen as sort of hotbeds of democratic malfeasance. You have in Illinois, Chicago, which is run by the Daily Machine, a real suspicion that Daly is trying to flip the election for John Kennedy. Um, and then Texas, which is a place where Lyndon Johnson, the vice presidential candidate, was from. And there had been allegations on the right for years that Lyndon Johnson had cheated his way into office. And so these were pretty target-rich environments for Republicans who were trying to overturn the results of the election. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it is worth saying that um, pointing to Illinois machine politics and saying, hey, there might have been something fishy going on here was not that outrageous of a claim. Yeah. I mean, U.S. politics has not been up until 2020 this perfect march of um, high respect for democracy and for free and fair elections <laughs> in a lot of ways. But like machine politics definitely had some some shenanigans going on in the voting booth. And again, I, I think it's a reminder that when elections are very close, they create both reasonable and just sort of a narrative vacuum into which these kinds of charges can come out. The Texas allegation is very interesting, too, because it has, as you said, to do with the Johnson connection, who was who was Kennedy's vice president. But also there's a there's some ballot confusion there. So we're starting to realize like all of the possible ways in which elections can be confusing, and contested start to are, are, are really present in this 1960 story. Yeah, we should tell listeners who still have flashbacks to those butterfly ballots of the 2000 election that they, they need to brace themselves. Because what was <laughs> happening in Texas is that they had something called the negative ballot. And the negative ballot, here's what you had to do. You had to go through and you had to cross out the names of the people that you didn't want to vote My for. My God. It's just it is stunning. Ridiculous. Stunning. I mean, like, I, I'm a, a good government person i like have gotten very into ballot design questions in the past and i think that that ballot design as we saw in 2000 but just in general the new york state's ballot it's always really poorly designed but like this is just a whole another level this puts our ballot design conversation in a bit of of context gives us some perspective but 
who like who thought of that? Who thought that was a good idea? Cross out every name of the people you don't want to vote for. I mean, you have to think that there are some to use the word shenanigans again, <laughs> shenanigans involved with the ballot design itself that there's yeah. some there's a political reason why you make voting difficult and here yeah. you go. Yeah. So, look, Nixon does on TV at 4 a.m. on election night um concede or he says he doesn't exactly concede. He's, he, he concede does, issues. Yeah, he concede issues. He says basically, you know, that if this is expected to go his way and he will have my support if so. Um, three days after the election, a Kentucky senator, Thurston B. Morton, announced proceedings to question the result in 11 states. Now, among his many claims, we've discussed some of them, Illinois and Texas. He also claimed that, that the RNC had received 35,000 letters and telegrams with anecdotal accounts of fraud. And to me, again, this reminds me and you know i'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of who this coterie of people around nixon that emerges are but it does remind me that you know as we're seeing now like you can build a story uh, with a combination of anecdotal evidence conspiracy theory some real questions and we see that happening in this 1960 race that like People decided, okay, you know what? There's enough here my you know they start from their suspicions and then they build the case kind of backwards from there yeah, I mean, Nixon is surrounded by his operatives. So there, there are people in the RNC and there are people who are close Nixon aides who are all working on this project of looking if there's a way to overturn the results in certain states, but also feeding the storyline that something hinky happened with the election. And you can imagine how this takes root. First of all, just that people really, really want to win. They don't trust yeah. Democratic politicians. The election is so, so close. So it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, if we could just change the tiniest thing, then maybe we could win this election. And so you get kind of the sense of where that's coming from. Now, Nixon himself was actually um, publicly distancing himself from being involved in any of this. Um, But it was clear that people who were very close to him, and we could probably suspect he was talking to, um, were leading the charge on this. Well, if you look at it most cynically, I mean, Nixon did what you should do if you're a decent politician, which is publicly distance yourself from this and then enable or at least look the other way as all the people around you um, push forward, you know, unlike Donald Trump, who is, I think, a very bad politician in that at the very least, if he wants to pull off something like this, he's unable to sort of keep his nose out of it and keep his Twitter fingers out of it. Yeah. And that taint around the 1960 election, it it lasts, right? Yeah. It lasts, first of all, for a month from the election. You know, there are still headlines in December of 1960 that say things like, Illinois, 27 votes remain in doubt. GOP still charging fraud in Chicago tally. But years later, decades later, there were still people who were talking about the way that Illinois was stolen. Um, the historian Bob Dalek writes that Daley probably stole Illinois from Nixon. Now, that wouldn't have changed the results of the election. But that belief that something bad had to have happened if there was this much investigation into it yeah. um, is... Uh, um, lasting effect of this tactic. And I want to hold that thought because I want to come back to that a little bit because I think it is really fascinating and has parallels for for right now. But just in terms of what went down in 60 and 61, because there are also lots of other little details here. I mean, this is a story I didn't really know about, but you look at some of the details and, you know, yes. So the Nixon recount committee goes in front of the Illinois State Board of Elections and basically tries to pressure them to overturn the result. And then in other places, they're trying to do recounts. I mean, it is the same 
playbook in many ways that you see today, which is going down into these states and taking different sorts of, of tactics. And as I said, cobbling together this big narrative of suspicion that hopefully just sort of, you know, I think the strategy is to just move the window of opinion um, over the course of the time between when the election happens and when it gets certified. Um, the difference here, of course, is that it does get certified. Was there anything rocky in that process? Sort of. I mean, there's another way that the results of the election were being interfered with, and that had to do with what was happening in Alabama and Mississippi. They had 14 electors who were supposed to vote for John Kennedy because those two states had gone Democratic, and yet they were holding their votes. Um, the plan was, if it was a close enough election in the Electoral College, that by withholding their votes, they would be able to get the election thrown to the House of Representatives. And they were hoping for one or two outcomes based on that. One, um, that they could leverage those votes to get a promise from whoever would eventually win that they wouldn't move forward on civil rights. Or two, just picking who they wanted to become president and vice president. They wanted Robert Byrd and Barry Goldwater, a segregationist and a conservative, to be president and vice president. And they ultimately cast their votes for Byrd. It just didn't change the final results. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like trying to use this this moment as a political cudgel or um, or if not, you know, trying to win through the sort of mechanics of the Electoral College. Um, again, we see that here. Um, so the legacy of this, I mean, I think to your point, we just have this story about for at least a big group of people about this election as being one that was suspicious going on. I certainly think this probably is an early element in um, Nixon's paranoia about the political process, which, which blooms. Uh, with those seeds obviously bloom into a right flower. Exactly. Um, but it's, it, it is interesting that you can see like Nixon, as much as he maybe distanced himself from this, you can probably see in here this sense of like, oh, the world's out to get me. You know, but the but the bigger thing that I think about is, you know, kind of like elections, especially close elections in this country, are messy. Like there are things like machine politics. There are, you know, maybe not outright fraud, but when you're dealing with this many votes, like things slip through the cracks or there's reporting errors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I think we want to protect our elections. We want to do it right. We want to improve our systems. We want to have better ballots, all these things. But at some level, it is also about like leadership and norms and kind of not actively poisoning a sort of well of trust in this. Um, and that Basically, like I would say for any election, if you choose to, you can probably create a real stink. And I think we've seen over time, um, you know, people choose to do that and not choose to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would highlight two other lessons. One is very much related to that. And that is that we tend to whitewash the history of voting in the United States. But voting in, say, the late 19th century was full of fraud right. and ballot box stuffing and exclusion. So many people who weren't allowed violence. Um, and even as you get into, you know, the 19 teens, you start to get the secret ballot. You still have machine politics where there is a lot of fraud, um, a lot of politics that we wouldn't accept today. And we have moved over the course of the 20th and early 21st century to more inclusive elections um, and to less fraudulent elections. And I think that's something that we should keep in mind, especially be over the past decade, when the language of voter fraud has become so prominent and so politically potent, is that we're actually in an era in which voter 
access, though under threat, has grown significantly, and voter fraud is actually much, much, much less part of the political process than it was um, even just 50 or 60 years ago. It's also this all of these conversations every election about disenfranchisement and and questions about the vote, you know, reflect also who has the power to even ask those questions, right? I mean, we, you know, we have all these conversations about voter fraud and election, election problems. And, you know, many of the people who actually are victims of disenfranchisement efforts, or at least the fallout of poorly run elections are people who don't have power and don't even have the the opportunity to raise a stink. Um, You know, and that's often black and brown voters um, and women for much of this country's history. And so like, I think, you know, again, as always, like these moments reflect the existing power dynamics as much as anything else. Yeah. And if there's one final lesson, this was the moment at which there was a lot of conversation about doing away with the Electoral College. Um, And it led to a really popular push to do away with it. That didn't happen. How'd that go? Yeah. Didn't turn out. Just keep hope alive as we move into 2021. Yeah. Stay tuned, listeners. You will see whether the Electoral (laughs) College was abandoned or not. Uh, um, But yeah, we did do an episode about about another moment in which that happens uh, often in the wake of messy elections. There have been these sort of fundamental questions about how we run these things, and we will see what what 2021 brings. Um, Okay. Let's leave it there. Let's do one also on this day, 1925. Nellie Taylor Ross of Wyoming becomes the first female governor in the United States. We recently reran our episode about Wyoming being the first state to give women the vote. So what's up with Wyoming? Wyoming, the the capital of feminism in the United States. That should be its state motto. We should yeah. look into getting that changed. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. That's it for this episode. Nicole Hemmer, thanks to you as always. Thank you, Jody. This Day in Esoteric Political History is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of independent, listener-supported, artist-owned podcasts. Our researcher and producer is Jacob Feldman. Our producer is Brittany Brown. Kala Nakua helps with our transcripts, which you can find at our website, thisdaypod.com. While you are there, you can also fill out a form and send us a question or comment about the show. We are getting lots of great suggestions already for things to talk about in 2021. We are building our list. You can also email us thisdaypod at gmail.com. For all of you who made a New Year's resolution to leave more ratings and reviews for podcasts, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We really do appreciate all the ratings and reviews. They help others discover the show. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon. Support for this day in esoteric political history comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash this day. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash this day. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? 
Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is our democracy is broken. We can all feel it and there's data to back it up too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.